All right. Welcome to another episode of Embrace the Suck. Tonight, I have retired Master Sergeant Dario Hernandez with us. We met like five years ago in I think it was like your very like you had just gotten to BRC. We met for like a quick minute and then you you and then I left because I was graduating. Um, but, you know, since then, I've followed you on on, on Facebook and I just kind of followed you as I continued my recruiting path. And now that I'm out and no longer on recruiting duty and now you're retired and now I'm watching all the awesome stuff that you're doing in the civilian world and seeing how you've been able to use your skills to transition. I couldn't think of a better guest to have um, because a lot of people don't really see the other end of the spectrum. Once people get out, we hear the horror stories. We don't hear the great stories and what the transition was like. So that's really what I wanted to talk to you about was really just to learn more about you, learn more about what you're doing out there and uh, just go from there. So please introduce yourself. Masar, I really appreciate you again, taking the time out, but who, who is Dario? Who, who is he? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, man. Um, I appreciate you asking me to be on, to be on the show. Um, definitely, definitely excited to be here uh, and be able to talk about recruiting life in general. For most of you that know me, um, those that do know me, should I say, uh, you already know that I'm a I'm an OBS kind of guy. I'm, I'm going to give you things straight up, um, you know, and I, I really don't hold a lot back. It's better to be very blunt, not beat around the bush. Um, so for me, you know, I, I can remember being a young sergeant in the Corps, just fresh off of uh, a couple of deployments uh, right after the invasion uh, time frame. And a good mentor of mine, uh, Dolman, we were pretty good buddies growing up, uh, getting ready to make our third pump. And he's like, brother, he's like, you got to do something uh, aside from deploying and making a third deployment. You need to go out and do a B-billet. It's like, all right, cool. I'm going to go be a DI. And he told He's like, dude, he's like, being a DI is great. It's fun. He's like, I've never been on a B billet, um, but he's like, I know that I ha I didn't get promoted because I didn't do a B billet, right? He's like, and I'll tell you, he's like, I see all my buddies that have gone recruiting and he'd been in 10 years at this point. I'd been in about three, three and a half. He's like, you need to go do recruiting duty. He's like, recruiting duty, he's like, everything I know about it will expose exactly who you are as a Marine, as, as a leader. Um, he's like, and it's going to show you your true character. He's like, not only that, he's like, it's also going, going to help you out later on down the work, down the road. He's like, you are that young, motivated sergeant that's always yelling at people. Get your hands out of your pocket. Go do this. Don't do that. You know, to the T. He's like, he's like, go change. Go figure out who you really are in recruiting duty. And so that's what pushed me down, down to the recruiting side. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. That was 2006 time frame when I first went out on recruiting duty for my first tour. Okay. So you, so you, okay, so you were one of those, because I find it funny, and I'm glad that you bring this up, because, like, I find it funny when people talk about 8412s, because all you ever hear is, oh, they were fleet dodgers, they were deployment dodgers, and it's just like, bro, have, a lot of these dudes have back-to-back -back deployments, you know, like my buddy, Massar Eichler, um, you know, my yeah, so like I, I hit, like, I see all these Marines that are out there, I'm like, bro, what 8412s are you meeting that were these quote-unquote fleet dodgers because like my buddy gunny ujama he you know he yeah. was you know same thing for you know he went back to the fleet chose to go back he was like you know what i want to go back and then he got back to the fleet and he was like 
bro, I miss recruiting duty. I miss the, the life change. I miss, you know, all these different, you know, I had him on, like, I think for two or three episodes by this point. But, you know, so what was it for you that made you decide after that first tour that you wanted to go back? And, well, before that, how was your first tour? Like, were you uh, ever looking at your boy like, bro, what did you do to me? Like, were you, like, how, <laughs> how, how was it? Man, both the... Uh... Both are very great questions, and they're they're very unique answers, right? Mm. Uh, in the sense that when I left the infantry, so I'm I'm an O three forty one by trade uh, okay. when I left, um, and I went on recruiting duty my first tour out to Odessa, Texas, and I was I was very fortunate. Uh, I fell underneath the realm of a phenomenal eighty four twelve. When I got there, he was an eleven, putting in his uh, twelve package. Phenomenal guy, well known in the twelve community. Uh, a guy named Master Gunny Frank Ramirez. And the team that we had there was, we were a beast of a team, right? Um, we're talking, taking station of the year, three years in a row, recruit of the year coming out of our office, three years in a row. Uh, just really an untouchable team at that point. And it made it fun because all of us were, were truly a team. We got along well, we, we worked well together uh, and we had even more fun together, you know, hanging out, the, the cookouts, just the environment that was fostered there was one that you don't find in a lot of places, um, especially when a recruiting station isn't doing well. Um, you'll find that the teams don't they don't mesh very well together. Mm. And that, I think that's something that we had. Uh, and that chemistry in, inside that office made me absolutely love recruiting duty. Right. Of course, there were those days and those nights that I just like anybody else hated it because some kid blew up on deck um, or two days away from making mission. Back then, it was the timelines of, you know, waiting at Mets till midnight. And I had a couple of those nights waiting there, and I absolutely hated those days. But the end result was I did enjoy recruiting duty. At the time frame, I didn't enjoy it enough that I wanted to stay, and I absolutely wanted to go back to the infantry. The I remember talking to my monitor at the time, and he's like, hey, you're a young staff sergeant. He's like, you're coming back. You're going to do some time back in the fleet. You're going to deploy. I was like, great. Sounds good. Put me in, coach. Um, get me to a deploying unit. And so he told me, he's like, he's like, hey, you got one four, first battalion, fourth Marines. They're slated to pump out again. Like, perfect. Send me there. Um, and I think probably the worst thing that I went through on recruiting duty at that time frame was right as I was getting ready to transition back to the infantry. Um, like a lot of recruiters back, you know, during that time frame, um, and a lot of recruiters nowadays, I was eating McDonald's three days a week, and I got a little nasty and a little out of shape. Checked in running a 293 PFT, checked in out running like a 245, and I blew my knee out. Right as I'm getting ready to check back into back into a grunt unit, blew my oh, knee out. Um, had to go into surgery right away. Luckily, the unit uh, rotation changed. And when it changed, it went from pumping out to Afghanistan to a mew, right? And that mew, it gave me the opportunity to help get the knee better, get it back in shape. And it also told me, like, all right, cool. I, I just met a, met a woman. I'm ready to get married. Uh, ended up getting married, having a kid. And when that kid came and I was going on my third year and we still hadn't pumped out to Iraq or Afghanistan, it was just that mew. That's what told me it was time to come back to recruiting duty. Mm. Um, so not necessarily that I missed it. It was more about the family time for me. Mm. 
and don't hold get on, hold 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 on a second. I just heard somebody say family time on recruiting duty. What are, yeah, we, what are exactly. we talking about? <laughs> yeah, let's not get it twisted. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of a lot of late nights, especially coming back and walking into an office that that uh, I wasn't a canvassing recruiter. I wasn't controlling my own schedule to be exact. It was you know three four Marines underneath me at that time frame. And a lot of very long, very late nights. But at the end of the day, I knew I was coming home every night yeah. to, to kiss the kid goodnight, you know, get some food in my belly, kiss the wife goodnight, uh, crash out and get ready for the gym next morning and work. Mm-hmm. So that, I know a lot of people here, family time, recruiting duty, that shit doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but see, like, so that, that was, you know, that's a question that I always kind of get into because I like to hear other people's ideas and takes on it is because I feel like it could be something that or that's achieved in an RS, but I feel like it's just not enough people are turning the wheels to make that an actual thing. I I, I feel like, you know, because you hear about it, you hear about quality of life, but then, you know, it's like, how do we accomplish that? How does an RS get to a place to where, you know, or even just an RSS, how does a place get to where they can actually have a quality of life? You know, and then, you know, like, so how do you, you know, form that winning team? Like you said earlier, when you for on your first tour that you you had this golden team with that Master Gunny, um, you know, and, and like, how did that team form? Was it just the right people in the right office? Was it his training? Like what? How did you form that gold, that team? And then how do we get that quality of life? Uh, I think it does have to, it has to start with the team, the individuals to begin with, right? Um, I was fortunate. It was myself and another grunt in the office. Both of us were 1-7 guys, had pumped out multiple times, who, who he's actually a Sergeant Major right now. I talk about that chemistry. Um, now a Sergeant Major, he's my my oldest daughter's godfather, right? Wow. He's the station commander, um, best man at my wedding, right? Like, that's the type wow. of chemistry you know, and then I, I fast forward to other offices as, as I progress through recruiting. And I look at RSS Laredo, which was the very uh, first substation that I ran. And my thing with them wasn't wasn't about what I wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. It was always about what they needed, what they were looking for, what they wanted. Because at the end of the day, my, my belief system is if the Marines around me that work with me are happy, their, their quality of life is good. Right. They're going to work better. They're going to produce more, which in return is going to get me to my ultimate goal. And Amen. at that time, it was to become an 8412. Right. Amen. Um, and so it had to become about them. It had to become about their life. You know, uh, I remember talking to one of my female Marines there. Uh, she was a staff sergeant um, about the same time in service, time and grade as me. And we, we butted heads a little bit because she thought she was going to run the office, not knowing that I was coming in. Uh, as a second tour recruiter at the time frame. So obviously there's a little bit of, of upset there, but, you know, we hashed things out, figured out what she wanted in life. And her ultimate thing was, you know, I need time to PT. I need time to get a good fit rep. That way I can leave the studio. It's like, all right, cool. That's what we're going to strive for. She had no aspirations of being the best recruiter, but a great fit rep. Like, okay. We're going to work for that. Um, mm-hmm. One of my, my other dudes, like I'm tired of being held back. They're telling me I can't, you know, I can only write one or two contracts at this time frame. This is 2012 um, and make everybody else on the team have to write a contract. Like, dude, if you want to shine, we're going to make you shine. Yeah. Run. 
right? Well, I'm going to let you run yeah. as long as you want to run and get, get that meritorious faster. And he did, right? Yeah. And as well as, you know, like, hey, my, my thing has always been, I'm not going to hold a tight leash on you if you're doing your job and you're being a man, you're being a Marine. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. We want to be treated like adults out here. Um, but obviously coming from, from already previous years of recruiting and seeing people, you know, getting relieved from time to time, having to pull those reins back a little bit and understanding where, where your Marines are, what they're doing, uh, what they're accomplishing and making sure they're staying out of trouble. Right. Yeah. And even to this day, just about any guy, any Marine that's ever worked with me on recruiting duty, they'll tell you my number one thing that I'm most proud of is I've never had a Marine underneath my charge ever relieved for anything. Right. And I'm talking Amen. while I'm in an RSS running an RSS because out here, that's what, what I did the most. Uh, I've spent time in the RI shop. I've spent time at the OST, but I've probably spent more time inside an RSS as a staff UIC. Um, and that's the most important thing to me. Leaving this duty with your ring, your your ring, your rank, and your ribbon. Nah, I, I yeah. think that's that's been the what's made me most successful out here is putting those items first before anything else. Well, and I, and I think that just the way that you're speaking about it, it, it shows in and of itself that people want to work for someone who feels like that, and that's just the truth. Is that like? You see, and a, and a lot of people have, you know, their bitch moans and gripes and complaints, you know, when it comes to different 8412s or command members and stuff like that. And and the reality of it is, and like you pointed it out yourself, is that everyone wants to be treated as a grown man, but then they don't want to do what, what grown men need to do. You know, and, and it's like me and my buddy were having this conversation on my last episode, and he had just brought up the con the, the fact that, like, he would say, I'm working, I'm working out because he just got off the duty. He's like on he's he's doing his changeover. And he was like, bro, you know how many times I would say to myself, wow, I worked so hard today. And then an 8412 would come in with a timesheet and then we would go over my day and he'd be like, bro, I didn't do shit today. And it's like that's the reality of it is, is that like so many and not only is it as 8411, not only as a staff at CYC or an A gunner or a recruiter, but like sometimes you think you're doing so much and then you just look at your day and you're like, bro, what did I do? Like, what did I accomplish? And that's why it's like, you know, when we talk about fostering a good work environment and we talk about, you know, having quality of life, it's like so many Marines want this thing called quality of life, but they come out on the duty. And I, I want to know what your experience is with this, right? A lot, in my opinion, a lot of it is that people come out on this duty with this idea and their notion in their head that they're never going to live a good life on recruiting duty because that's what their predecessors told them. That's what they were told by these staff sergeants, these gunnies. Like, hey, bro, if you get hissed, you're going to hate your life. Get used to it. So then you come out here on the duty inevitably like oh well i'm gonna hate the next three years of my life i'm not gonna be able to go home so i might as well just sit here and do nothing regardless because i'm gonna be here all day like do you like have you seen that like do you do you like ha have you seen that yourself as an 8412 as a you know in the billets that you've held like have you seen that be the case uh, i've definitely seen it and I've, I've definitely uh it's been me from time to time i, I remember my first tour just kind of hitting a point where, where I struggled and I absolutely hated it. And I was like, man, I might as well not do anything. Mm. But then again, it, looking back on it and looking back at myself, 
you know, that just wasn't who I was as a person, right? Mm. That's why we, we talk about recruiting duty will truly expose who you are. It, it's the truth. It is the God's honest truth that it will expose exactly the type of person you are. Yeah. And I can remember sitting there and thinking to myself, like, if I do that and I'm not contributing today, it's even though it's not going to contribute to today's mission, it's going to contribute to next month's mission, the following month's mission, you know, and it's my boys that are taking the blunt of the work right off their shoulders. Yeah. And I remember at the time frame, it would have been Gunny Ramirez. Um, our heavy hitter had left the office. This dude was, he left like a centurion right in like, I think he wrote a total of 112 uh, contracts and went back to the fleet. Um, definitely a centurion guy. And when he left, Ramirez came to me. He's like, hey, brother. He's like, it's on your shoulders now. He's like, we're going to either miss mission or make mission because now that G's gone, somebody's got to carry the load. And it holds true in every office. But, you know, trying to figure out what motivates each individual brain is probably the biggest thing that I took from that is how do we push somebody and everybody to contribute to the team, right? Mm -hmm. And even if it's not you know, three contracts a month. We need something to make sure that everybody has a quality of life in these yeah. offices, right? Yeah. And it's, is it always achievable? No. Yeah. Uh, even as, an, uh, as a very seasoned 84-12, I've hit points with recruiters where I can't, I've had issues getting them to produce. Was it an attitude issue or was it a just not able to do it issue? It, it's hard to pinpoint. It's very hard to pinpoint because some of these guys will, you know, show and act a part all day long. Yeah. Uh, you think that they're wanting to work and you think they're wanting to try and you're thinking that they want to excel. But at the end of the day, it's a results driven business. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I talk to my wife now, my wife is, uh, she works purely commission, right? And that, that's my transition out of the Marine Corps. Her and I work together. Uh, that mindset of mine is it's results driven. Yeah. I produce today or I'm not getting a paycheck. Yeah. Fortunately for these guys in the Marine Corps that aren't producing, they're still getting a paycheck, Bro. but it shows on that ticket every day. Bro. Right? And that, yeah. And that was something that, you know, I'm on this, this Facebook group and the other day this, this conversation came up and this, but I can't remember his name. His first name is Mike, but this retired master guns just commented on it. And he was just like, cause somebody was like, what do you have to, what do you have for tomorrow is the equivalent of hazing. And, and we were like, bitch, shut the, f just shut up. And it's like, and he was like, bro, at the end of the day, and I concurred, like you just said, man, it, it, even at my civilian job, I work in sales too now. If, if I don't have what I need for tomorrow, like, yeah, I might go home, but I might not have a job tomorrow. Like, yeah. I may, yeah, maybe I go home at four o'clock when the day's done, but guess what? If I don't have what I, I need to have, then I'm going to have an, a, a disgusting conversation with my campus director. I'm going to have a horrible conversation with the head of sales. And then they're going to be like, hey, brother, you need to fix this or we're going to fire you. And then I'm not going to have a job. And, and that's the thing about it. And I say this all the time is that like in the Fleet Marine Corps, if you didn't do your job, there'd be an issue. But all of a sudden you come out on recruiting duty and it's OK that you didn't do your job today. And, and it's like. And that's why it's to me, and that's why like I like being able to hear from an eighty four twelve, because like as a as a staff in COIC, I can't count the amount of times that I felt like I couldn't do anything. Like I was like, bro, I've given this dude training, 
every single day i'm giving him an hour i'm going out with him i'm doing you know i'm doing interview observation forms with him i'm doing telephone call observation forms i'm doing you know i'm going out with him and ac i'm hving with him i'm going to schools with him i'm doing all this stuff and while i have all these other seven duties and responsibilities i'm trying to sit here and give this dude adequate training and he just doesn't he's not taking it so like what are some of the things like the advice that you have for st- like brand new staff and COICs? Because like my thing is, is that like when I became a staff and COIC, I was already on the streets for two and a half years. So I already knew I knew MC3. I knew I already knew most of what I was getting myself into. I was an eight gunner for a while. But there's a lot of staff and COICs that are brand new on the duty that are being thrown in this position to be the staff and COIC to conduct training and it's like bro i don't even know enough to do it myself like what what advice do you have for those struggling staff and coic's especially when it comes to these marines that don't want to perform my best advice that i could give in a situation like that because i've been there like i said even as a seasoned 84 12 um my last my last assignment here in uh on recruiting duty in rs san antonio uh you know i 100 percent asked like I, you ask anybody to this day, they'll tell you my favorite place to be is in an RSS. And I asked, I was like, when I retire, I want to be retired out of an RSS. And I got sent back to RSS Austin South, um, which helped me too, right? You know, it, it helped me in, in a lot of different aspects because being a staff and so I see, in my opinion, is very easy, but at this time, very seasoned, right? And I still, I still came across issues. One of them being uh, a Marine that would, had no no drive to be successful, said all the right things, right? But at the end of the day, he already knew he was getting out of the Marine Corps, had no ambitions to re-enlist, uh, and he was 100% getting out. Well, I had to focus on, on my team that wanted to be winners, right? Which still made us very successful. But for a brand new staff in CIC, my best advice is to continuously ask the RI shop for help, right? Like, look, boss, you know, Master Gunny, Mass Sergeant Gunny, I need you to come help me train this Marine, right? And if they're unwilling or unable, then Sergeant Major, I need assistance. Unable, still not getting the help, uh, talk to the CEO, commanding officer. Like, look, ma'am, look, sir, I am here. I am trying to make it. I'm pushing hard. I've got my team that wants to win, but I am having a lot of trouble training this Marine over here. I need assistance from the RI shop. I've been asking for a month now and nothing's been put on the calendar. Can we get something scheduled on the calendar for a training and assist for two days? Uh, and always ask Kai, ask for three days. You know, maybe you get one day out of it. Yeah. Um, that would be my best advice because for a brand new staff in CIC that has n- never been in the seat, first tour, uh, and maybe a decent recruiter, they're not going to have the skill set to get that Marine up to par. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that there, there's anything wrong with that. They're just they haven't had that type of development in, at that stage in the game. Yeah. Right? Um, some of them may have, and I mean, but if it's taking too long, your best bet is to concentrate on your winners, your workhorses, your studs, uh, and request that assistance from the RI shop and continuously request it until they're up to par. Mm-hmm. Got you. And now, so you, so you said you loved being in, in, in an RSS. Why? And how many, and now at this point, how many, do you know how many RSSs you've been a staff in CIC of? I've ran a total of six RSSs, six of them. Wow. Right? 
I, I'm probably not the most political uh, 8412 out there. <laughs> uh, I, I told you earlier, um, I don't beat around the bush. I'm very blunt, very to the point. And there's some some commanders, some individuals that like that. They like that very direct answer uh, with no sugar on the top. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some that say they like it, but uh, when it comes, they don't enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, there's some that absolutely hate it, right? So I'm not the most tactful guy. Uh, and for me, being in the in the headquarters uh, in the RI shop, that wasn't that wasn't my domain, right? Mm. Granted, I had the opportunity to drive around the uh, the AO, get to learn, and you know meet every Marine in the RS. But for me, I was most impactful as a staff and so I see, you know, contributing to a team, contributing to the RS um, from the staff and so I see spot because in that. In that area, in the Austin area, it's a very difficult market. And that's just mm -hmm. a place that, that the RS wouldn't have to worry about with, with somebody like myself sitting in that seat. Um, but even more so, for me, it was about the family time. When I'm in an RS, uh, I'm really working off everybody's time. You know, I'm talking to every Marine in the command uh, that needs to call me, that has a question, that needs uh, my assistance, you know, five hours away from home. Um or that required me to go run an RSS for three months as an ARI, four months. Um, but being in an RSS, on the other hand, allows me to impact the Marines that are in that office, improve their quality of life, make sure that they're making mission, we're making mission as a team, right? But at the same time, it allowed me like to walk out like, hey, fellas, just so that y'all know where I'm at, I'm going to be at lunch for the next hour and a half. Do not call me unless the office is on fire. I'm going to have wife, uh, lunch with the wife, right? Or I'm going to go pick the kids up, right? And even more so, I did the same thing for them. Like, hey, fellas, every month or every week, I want you to put down on your calendar lunchtime with the wife. Do I care if you're you're at lunch? No, but I want to know where you're at, so I make sure that I don't call you during that time frame. So I, I hear that a lot, and I, I've heard that so many times. I've heard so many people say that. But then it's like, but does it, but does it really get done? And and clearly with what you're saying, it, it, you can it, I can tell that it does, um, and I can tell just from your your the way you speak about it that it's a reality. So what what are some of the things that, like when you, when you saw Marines that were coming in, like what were your some of your TTPs that you did with new Marines on their way in, like their three six nine. Because I, you know, I find a lot of times that a lot of the reasons why Marines aren't successful on the duty is because, in part, it's a lot of due to like lack of training, whether it's from the AR, the ARI shop, or whether it's from the, the staff in CUIC. But like, what were some of the things that you made sure that you were doing to make sure that you were creating quality recruiters that eventually may become staff and CUICs? I think the biggest part with, with training those, those young Marines that are coming in on recruiting, and I say young, not in the sense that they're young in age or their time in service, but young to the duty, right? Brand new is really giving them a true expectation of what they, they should expect from, from their boss, you know, the type of training that they should be receiving. Um, that way they fully understand, like, it's not just, training from the RI shop, your one week in part training is going to make you the best recruiter ever, right? It's not that one hour that you might get of training a day with your your staff in CIC. 
it's showing them volume, what to expect from it, how to reference things from the volume, how to reference things from the EPM. You know, instead of having to call, hey, boss, man, this kid's got a DUI and he's got, you know, a public intox charge, MJ times 55. You know, it's showing them how to figure things out for their own on their own, because as much as we will always talk about how much being a team is at the end of the day, it's still an independent duty that you have to do a lot on your own because everybody's got so many things going on. Right. And especially if you have a brand new staff in CYC, he's not going to be able to answer every question that you have. That question is going to get taken and asked to the headshed. Right. Uh, and you're going to take an hour, two hours waiting for a response sometimes. So if they understand how to find this information in the cell, um, makes it a little bit easier on them. Walking them through their 369, it's, it's an expectation that's also set with them. Like, this is what you're going to learn. This is what my job is to teach you is these are the things that it's a checklist. And I hate to call it a checklist, but it really is making sure that you understand at a minimum these things. Once you understand these, we're going to move into a lot better things for you to learn, a lot more in depth about what can make you successful out here. But you have to understand this part first, right? And for some recruiters, that takes a little bit longer than the than others. Mm -hmm. um, there's some that I've been able to walk through and, you know, that three-month mark, like, holy shit, your, your staff in CYC has done his due diligence and he's truly taught you a lot. We're going to check off a lot. But on other ones, like, that's where we got to come down on that staff in CYC. Like, hey, man, like, what are you teaching this dude? Because he doesn't know shit right now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it's always going to begin in that moment. But from par training, teaching them and talking to them and setting those expectations of what your boss should be teaching you. And then when you're not receiving it, that's a conversation you have, have with the boss man. Hey, boss, uh, I remember in par, the RI, ARI told me these are things that you should be teaching me on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Yeah. And we start doing this. Yeah. See, and that's and I'm glad that you brought that up because like that's something that I find in the Marine Corps, in the Fleet Marine Corps, right? You're told at the youngest age to seek accountability on all levels. And then you come on recruiting duty and you have their staff and COICs that don't do the their due diligence. They don't do the proper training. And then these Marines a lot of times won't say anything and they won't do anything and they'll just be like oh okay and then when someone's like hey sign here they're like okay and it's like bro like if you're not getting the training and you're truly not like no because we know there's people out there who are like oh yeah i never got trained and it's like no no no, you did but there are there unfortunately are places where you know there's marines out there who are truly trying to be successful and they're asking for training and they're not getting it and and that's the thing is that if you're not receiving something, you need to say, like, listen, I didn't get this. Hey, this is what the R.I. said was supposed to happen. It's not happening. You know, so what what's some advice that maybe you would have for that person? Because like, I, as I've been doing this podcast, I'm on like episode 57 now. I've had so many Marines reach out to me in that capacity. Like, bro, I come into the office and I ask my staff at CYC to help me with this, this and the third. And he tells me to, to ask him later or he tells me to, you know, we'll deal with it on Friday at, at, at training. And then Friday comes and we don't do group training. So like, what advice do you have for that Marine that is trying to do better, but isn't getting the training that he or she needs? Right. So again, it, 
it comes down to accountability, right? That's it, a big thing out here. And a lot of times, uh, staff and so I see they're, they're already losing their minds, just trying to make mission, right? So everything that that should be important gets thrown to the wayside because training training is very valuable and it is important. Even in my last RSS here as, as a master, I'm getting ready to retire. We still did training. We still did Friday training. On, on occasion, we would switch it up and do Monday trainings, right? And it, it's a have to, no matter what. And that boss, that staff in CIC, cannot change that. If it's on the schedule, it needs to remain there. You know, and that young recruiter, even though it's difficult, and we start to get closer and closer towards his his first evaluation towards that three-month eval, you know, we've already shown him, like, at par training, this is what you're getting evaluated on. This is your three, six, nine month. Okay. What you need to do on your own is start reading up on each one of these things, reading from the volume and understanding them, you know, and if your boss hasn't covered these items with you and you already, you know, a month out, you need to be talking to him like, Hey boss, I want to see if we can, we can cover these. If you can make sure that I fully understand what this is saying, because what I don't want to happen is I don't want the RI or the ARI to come out here or one of the 8412s in the command to come do my three-month eval. And I don't want it to make it look like you haven't provided me training, right? All yeah. about it, – it's weird. Like, I can coach somebody and teach them how to be tactful and how, how, how to talk properly and use the proper words. But yeah. typically when I'm bringing it up, I don't do a very good job at it, right? <laughs> Yeah, right? The younger young recruiter, it's very important for them to be able to do that, to be tactful yeah. with that. So I see like, hey, boss, man, I, I just don't want you to get thrown under the bus when they ask me. And I have no clue what that is or I've never seen it before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, a tactful way of asking for, for the training that he was supposed to be, he or she was supposed to be receiving in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and that's the and that's the thing, you know, that I've I've just found like. You know, I, I know there's a thousand reasons why places, people and places aren't successful. But, you know, a lot of, of the experience that I've seen is that I, I feel like the train there, there, there's supposed to be so much more training and that I feel like in other places in the Marine Corps, we focus so much on training when it comes to MOS schools or when it comes to all these different certifications that we get. And then all of a sudden we get thrown into Marine Corps recruiting duty and it's like, hey, man, here's three months of BRC. And then the rest of it's going to be real quick stuff. And all oh, you'll learn it when you get to your RS. And then all of a sudden, it's like a lot of it's just like you just learn it on your own or you learn it from your A gunner. And I, I feel like they're, you know, that we as a whole just kind of like, I don't want to say we don't do training, but I feel like it, it kind of becomes like this, you know, like, and again, this isn't every RS because I haven't been in every RS. But I feel like three six nines kind of just become this thing where it's like, oh yeah, good to go. He's hey, he's writing contracts, right? All right, cool. He knows how to do all this stuff. And it's like, but if we really took time, you know, to spend with these Marines and really do these evaluations, or really, and I get it at the same time because I can only imagine the amount of time that the ARI or the RI has only for this because there's how many Marines in an RS. So I can only imagine that. So I guess like one of the questions that I would have is that as a staff in COIC, how do you make sure that you really do keep training paramount? Like, how do you make sure that that's something that you remind yourself to do? Because I know that I know for a fact that when I was a staff in COIC, 
there was plenty of days that I just didn't get around to it or I didn't put it in the schedule. I made sure to always do my Friday training, but like I know that there was days that I didn't do my individual training with my Marines. So like what what advice do you have to to get that battle rhythm set so that you're not losing time on that training piece? Well, you brought up a key point earlier, and one of the things that I learned uh, myself as a canvassing recruiter, right? And I learned this long before I became a staff in CIC is it is paramount to have a strong, solid A gunner, right? That A gunner should be able to step in at any point in time and run the station uh, in, in your absence, right? We talk about it all the time in the Marine Corps, you know, but most people only truly apply it to an MOS outside of recruiting duty, right? Amen. Um, and vital in the infantry community, you know, as, as I've been on, on a couple of deployments, you know, overseas, right. It's, uh, you have to be able to step up when, when, when boss man goes down Yeah, uh, and recruiting duty should be no different than that. Amen. I've been very fortunate that, you know, I have had recruiters that I've had the ability to train them, work with them. And some of them, hell, they probably would have been better staff in CIC's than I ever was. Wow. The time that I spent with them yeah. and developing them. But by doing so, it especially my very first substation, it allowed me to spend an ample amount of time on those brand new recruiters that needed the training up front because mm. I could count and rely on my A gunner to handle the little things that needed to be happen, happening, right? And by little yeah. things, I'm talking about taking care of projections, right? Some people don't consider that little. To me, that's a, a small task in my day is to knock out a projection, get it sent to maps, get it sent to operations, uh, put numbers in, right? Those are things that I shouldn't have to worry about when I have an A gunner that is just as capable. Now I can concentrate on that brand new recruiter, truly give him a proper in brief, get him ready for his day uh, and conduct training that may be needed to be conducted in the morning because that A gunner is taking care of it up front for me. Right. See, and, and it's, it's um, I'm glad that you bring that up because that's a conversation that I've had many times when I was an A gunner, when I was a staff in CIC, a lot of Marines. And this isn't again, this isn't one RS. This is across the board from the conversations that I've had over the past year um, with the podcast is a lot of Marines just feel that the A gunner billet means nothing. And a lot of them, when they hear it, they're like, I don't want it. And they're like, and then when you ask them, like, well, what do you do as an A gunner? A lot of people are like, I don't do anything. And then it's, and, and uh, you know, also, it's also like I've seen, you know, different command members where I remember, like, I, when I was a station commander, I had one of my Marines um, call in numbers. He called in numbers, and the XO, I'm sorry, the OPSO flipped out because it wasn't me calling in numbers. And it was just like, but we're trying, like, I'm trying to be at a, at a table setup. I'm trying to be at a school. I'm trying to do all these different things. And if there's things that, like, I can, like, if you're not allowing me to use an A-gunner to use an A-gunner, then why do we have one? And and then how is he going to be able to be sufficient if I'm out of the fight? And that's, like, and that's a huge part of it. So how do we, and I say we, because, like, as a command, as members of the ARI, as the members of the RI shop, the command element, how do you make a, an A-gunner actually something that matters? How do we make this into a thing that, okay, hey, this is what A-gunners do, this is what they're here for, and this is how we give them that sense of, I don't want to say entitlement, but you know what I mean? 
Yeah. I mean, every Marine wants to feel like a Marine at the end of the day. Right. And if you're just throwing some BS billet at them just to throw on, like nobody wants it. Right. They, they want to feel like they're actually out here doing some good, getting paid to do what they're supposed to be doing. And at the end of the day, it's to be a Marine and have a job and something to work for. And in order to do that, it's it's hard, especially when you have a command that doesn't already function that way. You have to make them believe in it. Right. You know, and that that comes with a little bit of time of actually showing their capability, showing that that staff and CIC can run the office by or that a gunner can run the off, office in the absence of staff and CIC. Uh, and in that very first RSS, I was like, look, brother, uh, I'm taking leave for a week and a half. Um, mm-hmm. I want to leave with the wife. We're going out of the country. I will not be reachable. Right. And what it did in return, well, one, I got my rest. Uh, but two, <laughs> it also showed the command like, holy crap, that a gunner is fully capable uh, yeah. of operating without his staff in CIC. And uh, my next my my next part to that was talking to the RI like, hey, brother, um, I need my a gunner. I want him sent to the staff in CIC course. Mm. From that point, and not every not every district was on, is on board with that. They they were a little bit upset that the say gunner was going there not to run an office, but just to go. Yeah. But eventually, it about six months later, our entire RS was sending every a gunner to the staff and CIC course. Wow. All of them getting trained, all the attention being put on them. At our level, at the RS level, we were now having a gunner training mm-hmm. that was completely separate to the staff and CIC. Uh, and sending them up there and getting staff and CIC training. When there was staff and CIC training, they were going up there as well for that. Yeah. Right. And that's what develops your your A gunners so that you can function without actually having to be there or actually having to yeah. talk to them. So, and utilizing your A gunner and making him an important member of that team. Yeah. And the rest of the team understands it. Yeah. And and that what and, and that's the thing too though is that like you know and I've seen this and I'm glad that you're bringing that up because what you're doing is you're also creating by making good a gunners you're creating possible staff and CICs because like you were saying before how many times does somebody go out there and do something stupid they you know you're you you don't account for the DUI that's going to happen or you don't account for the the story even God forbid you know like recently a friend of mine um, his wife died in a car crash. Wife died in a car crash. He was on. He was a staff in CIC. He went to tend to his kids, his family, and now he was no longer a staff in CIC. So they had to pull somebody to be a staff in CIC. Well, if we're not training quality AA gunners, then who are we going to put in that staff in CIC seat when we need somebody? And and that's the thing about it is that like I I love what you're saying and what you guys were doing because there's a lot of things that other RSs aren't adapting. And, and then when it comes to the point where we, you know, when all of a sudden you need a staff in COIC, you know, you're pulling from the shit list. You're like, oh, crap, we don't have anybody, but we need that guy. And then you're making people who have a horrible APR, a staff in COIC, or you're making, you know, someone who could have, who you know, in your, in your mind, you're like, I would never make that Marina staff in COIC, but he's the only one willing to do it. Yep. And now because you didn't create quality, you're just left with what you have to be. It's you're creating a bench. You're creating your own bench is all it is at the end of the day. And I, again, a few years, a couple of years after that, like we started, you know, we started a very deep bench that we had so many Marines that we could pick from. 
you know, and anybody listening, they already know RS San Antonio has been a powerhouse for, for years on, in the recruiting world, right? Um, but it was something that helped us get to that next level of making sure that we always had a bench to pick from. We always had quality individuals that we already knew just, you know, playing checkers, first, second, third order effects. We can take this guy, make him a step. And so I see here, we can move this guy, move him in, you know, and we always had that. And yeah. I a lot of RSs, maybe with young commands, don't ever reach that level of understanding it and what it truly means to have a bench like that, a bench that deep, because they haven't started at the point of training their staff, their their A-gunners to become staff and CICs in the right way. We might say, okay, hey, we have an A-gunner. We're going to do some training tomorrow, but it's not consistent enough to make them successful to take over an office at any moment. Yeah. And and that also and and that also then creates the you know the the effect of quality eighty four twelves down the road, because yeah. if you're creating a quality A gunners that become quality staff and COs that now become quality eight you know eighty four twelves and that's the same thing that happens as well is that you have places that you know, like right now you know every year what happens okay hey we got to make new eighty four twelves well if no one wants to be an eighty four twelve you know and we're like hey you know we kind of need somebody. You know, and now all of a sudden you have this guy who never wanted to be an eighty four twelve, and it's like, hey, but we need somebody, and they're like, all right, and now we have this vicious cycle, you know, of putting place people in places they should have never been, you know, like Eichler, Massard Eichler calls it the Peter Principle, right? You know, he talks about that. I'm sure you've probably had that conversation with him, but you know, it's just, you know, it's just crazy to me that a lot of times it's just due to the lack of emphasis that we're putting on the things that matter because, you know, and I'm sure that you've seen this as, as an 8412, like a lot of times we do things that are trends or we do things around the office or around the RS just to do them because, Hey, we did them, you know? And, you know, it's like, you know, there's a friend of mine who reached out to me and told me that their RS does conference calls Monday through Thursday, every night at 8 PM. Yeah, that's insane. I'm like, what? What is that doing for us? What is what is that accomplishing? Like, what what changed from last night to tonight? Like, what? That's taking time away from me and my family. That's taking time away from training that I can be doing the, with the Marines. That's taking time from me being at PCs. That's taking like the amount of things that could be do, done in that productive amount of time is asinine. But somebody said, you know what? It makes sense for us to do this, and then it happened for a year. And, you know, it's just like, you know, so it's just crazy. So what are, so getting off of that topic, um, how did you deal with it? As I know you had said that you were on the duty, then you met this, you know, you, you met the love of your life and all that great stuff. How did that happen? Like, how did you, what are some of the stressors that you dealt with as an 8412 while taking being there as a family man doing all these things because that's something that nobody really talks about like we don't know the inside of the 8412s like what they're dealing with because i feel like you guys have you have the command level on top of you you know you have the sergeant major you have the co you have all these other people that are reaching out to you because you're the subject matter expert like how stressful is that on you well, a lot of it depends, man. A lot of people, you know, uh, I, I've met a lot of great 8412s and I've lot, I've met several horrible 8412s, right? 
Mm-hmm. At the same time, I've met a lot of great air wingers and I've met some horrible. Amen. Amen. Right. I've made, met some great grunts and I met some grunts that were just garbage. Right. Yeah. Every MOS is going to have, you know, phenomenal Marines and, you know, Amen. those few that are, why are we even here? Right. Yeah. Um, and so everybody's opinion might be a little skewed, you know, and, and they think that 8412s are on top of the world. They come in, shit on you and they, and they leave. Right. <laughs> and those are probably the few that probably shouldn't be in, in, in that seat if, if it's happening. Uh, yeah. And I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, I, I don't believe in the seagull briefs. I don't believe in coming, taking a dump on somebody and just dipping out. Um, when it comes down to it, 8412s go through probably the exact same problems that any canvassing recruiter is going through. And if not more of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell, tell Marines all the time when I was out here, did I go through through marital issues? Absolutely. Did my wife enjoy my my life? No, she fucking hated she hated recruiting duty in the beginning because I wasn't home. It was that time frame of I'm trying to become a 12. I'm trying to prove myself to the command, show them that I'm somebody worth keeping around, uh, trying to improve my recruiter's quality of life so that they're happy and their families are happy. Um, but at the end of the day, what it took was us having those conversations late at night, us being able to stay up talking, waking up early or even more so at the time frame, we didn't work far from each other. So as often as possible, having lunch together, you know, she would come. I can remember being in RSS Laredo and her coming to the office and having lunch with me like two to three day, times a week, um, even if it was a 30, 40 minute lunch. Right. But it, it had to be a two week street on both of our parts of us making the effort to make time for each other during the day to have lunch. Because we knew we weren't going to see each other for a long amount of time on the back end, right? And that's a hard thing that a lot of a lot of people don't understand. Um, making time for each other. The other part that I'll say is, and this is from me seeing it from hundreds and hundreds of Marines on this duty, is if your spouse doesn't have a job or going to college or have an occupation, they're going to go crazy out here, right? Uh, I've seen plenty of recruiters with, with spouses that didn't have jobs and they they were getting phone calls 40, 50, 60 times a day. If they didn't answer their phone, that gov phone was blowing up. If they didn't answer their gov phone, that office line was blowing up. If they didn't answer any line, the wife was outside the door, <laughs> you know, parked outside. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that they have to, but they definitely need need a hobby out here. Something that's going to yeah. get them outside. Amen. Uh, and and keep them busy, right? The kids yeah. are one thing. Kids are, are great. I, we have two of them, but kids will drive you cra- just as crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was fortunate that my wife, had, you know, wanted a career. She wanted to work, um, so I was very lucky that that kept her busy most of the time while I was gone. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I am a firm believer that a spouse needs to have a job out here or a hobby, go to college, something productive, right? Yeah. Uh, and I no, feel like yeah. that that piece right there will help. Number one, their 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 life out, their family life, their quality of life, because it it isn't just a spouse staying at home, like wondering where the hell you're at all day, because yeah. now they're worried about their career or whatever yeah. they have. Um, yeah, no, and I definitely can agree because I had, you know, I had two of my best friends who ended up becoming my Marines, where. You know, one wife was, you know, she started having a job. Like for the first six months, she didn't have a job. 
She sat home. She was an alcoholic. She just drank all day. And then all of, and then she was calling him, where are you at? What are you doing? And he was like, babe, I'm, I'm working. Like, but, but a lot of times what I noticed was, the, like you said, the lack of communication. So a lot of times the wives, the husbands, you know, whether, which, whatever spouse it is, they don't understand what recruiting duty entails. And they don't know what their husbands and wives are doing at work and why they can't be home at a regular time, especially because in the Fleet Marine Corps, they were coming home normally at 430. So now all of a sudden it's a culture shock. And because you're not explaining to them expectations, you're not explaining they don't have these hobbies because in the fleet, they had friends that now they're in some random RSS in the middle of nowhere and they don't know anybody. So while you're at work all day. They're home by themselves to their own devices. And if you don't have children, they're sometimes alone by themselves, not doing anything. And then it's just a recipe for disaster. So I definitely agree with that, with the fact of, like you said, like the communication part is key. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. The other part to that is, you know, when you have have families like my again, going back to my first duty station or RSS, like all of us were single except for one guy. Right. So it made life easy. Right. We all. Just hung out, you know, at each other's houses. We all, only person that we hung out with was each other, or if we had girlfriends at the time frame, uh, it was easy. Now, when I got to RSS Laredo, you know, three of my Marines were married, uh, to include myself. One was single, um, and it was really me fostering in a family environment. Right? Like, hey, man, I get it. Bring kids to the office for an hour. I, I get it. Wife's got to go run some errands. Tell her drop the kid off. Right? Um, Having having date nights together as an RSS, having cookouts every weekend uh, during Friday training, making it a potluck, you know, have the wife prepare a meal, come have lunch with us while we're doing Friday training real quick. Something along those lines. Sorry to interrupt you, but just a question. So I, I you were talking about like having like date nights and stuff. Right. And and you're the staff in COIC. What are your thoughts on that? Because like I've had some 8412s tell me that outside of work we don't do anything together like i'm your staff in coic i'm in charge of you when we leave work at, at 1800 2000 like that's it we're not having dinner on the weekends we're not doing things like that because like when i was a staff in coic i i love my family and i'm a big family man so when i took charge of this office i literally was like hey on on, on friday nights like once we're done and we batten down the hatches like we can all go out to dinner or we can all go have lunch tomorrow, or we can have a barbecue, we can have a potluck. Like, and a lot of other, and I was the only person who was doing this in the whole RS. And a lot of other people were like, hey, man, like, you can't do that. Like, you're, you're, you're being friends with your Marines. And I'm like, I, that's what I want. Like, I want to, in my, in my mind, they knew there was a differentiation. Like, my Marine, like Sergeant Morales, when we were in the office, it was Staff Sergeant Bennett. But when we were at his house or my house, it was, yo, Benny, da, 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 da. And, and we all had the agreements that as soon as you walked in the door, the recruiting duty was off the table and nobody spoke about it till tomorrow at work. And so, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because some people say that you should not mix the two. You can't mix the two. It's only at the top. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And as a young Marine, I, I was 100% against, I, I'd be against that, right? Coming on to recruiting duty and seeing the experiences out here and seeing the hardships that Marines go through, uh, being away from the operating force. If you're the only sergeant in the office, who the heck are you supposed to hang out with, right? Um, 
it, it you'll lose your mind out here if you don't have it. So for me, I, I'm a hundred percent against policies of, you know, oh, you shouldn't be hanging out with them because for me, again, this is just me. Probably one of the things that that I do very differently than than most is at the end of the day, I care about your quality of life, your family time, you making it out of here with everything that you showed up with, if not more. And if that meant me as a mass sergeant having a, a young sergeant over at my house to bring his kids over to the swimming pool to come have a barbecue with the rest of the Marines, I'm 100 percent OK with that. Right. But it wasn't like a the only person I'm inviting is a sergeant. It's a team thing. It will always be Amen. a team thing. It's not yeah. going to be just me and a young sergeant hanging out. It's going to yeah. be the entire team. Right. And I think that's maybe where where the line for me is drawn. I'm not just going to go hang out with you one on one unless I needed personal time with you to try and figure out what's going on in your life because something's clearly wrong. Right? Yeah. But aside from that, if you're doing team things, personally, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with it. And, and I've been like that every office I've ever been to. Right. Um, who else are we going to hang out with if not each other? You know, we talk about and we preach a brotherhood here. Amen. No, yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that's a huge thing for me was that just like when we were to earlier on in this, we were speaking about, you know, creating that fostering that winning team and, and that family. And that's what I find a lot of RSs that RSs RSSs that aren't being successful, they're just not a winning. They don't they don't care about the Marine who's not home at night with his family. Like that Marine doesn't care that you know, hey, I'm single. I'm I have nobody to go home to, so I'm okay with being in the office till eleven o'clock at night. And and they don't create this teamwork. And because of that, because they don't do things together, because they don't go out bowling or to a club or whatever. Or if they're married, you know, like why aren't all of our spouses, you know, together going out shopping or going out to dinner? Like my wife, my wife used to bring food to the office for all the Marines to eat, like six times a week. My wife would just be at the office with food for the whole entire office, for the poolies. And that created a life where our poolies, because like you just said, we preach brotherhood, but where's the book, but where is the brotherhood? So if we create this family oriented place of business where people are coming, like these poolies are seeing, you know, other families, they're seeing us hang out with each other. They're seeing our Instagrams and our social media where we're all together all of the time. It shows that what we're talking about, that the product is real. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It, it sure does. So after everything that we've spoken about, we've talked about a lot of great things. How has the transition piece been for you? How has that been? Like, do you feel that you were ready for that? Because I know that some, some Marines, you know, have an issue with transitioning out of the Marine Corps. Was it something that you were prepared for? Like, how did how did that go? And how does it feel now being out? I think the, the transition for me became came a lot easier than most. Um, and that's when I think back to, to my mentor telling me to go on recruiting duty because it's going to benefit me so much more in different ways. Uh, I think back to that day when I when I finally hit this point of getting out because the job opportunities have been there from day one. Sales is going to always be there, no matter what type of sales you go into. Um, and for me to be able to transition into what I do now, which is lending uh, a mortgage lender, working with my wife, who my wife's been in this world, in the banking lending world for 10 plus years. 
it was a lot smoother transition because it was networking at the end of the day. You know, becoming a mortgage lender is all about networking, getting your name out there, being in the community, uh, understanding the people that are around you, right? And everything that we do in this side equates to recruiting duty. Like there's nothing that we don't do that is not recruiting related. Uh, when I sit down and I talk, so I started out on the business development team over here uh, with the company. And my job was networking, talking to uh, realtors, helping them, you know, become more successful in return, helping myself and my wife become more successful lenders, you know, and for me, again, it was a very easy, it was a very smooth transition for some people. It's not. Um, but I think being able to find what they want to do and being able to gain that time back is something that most people don't get in, in the Marine Corps. Right. I was very fortunate to have a command that was very understanding. Like, Hey, top, we need you to help out everywhere you can. Uh, and my thing was, Hey, put me in coach. I'd always tell them, right. Uh, we understand that you're retiring um, and we want you to get to that point. We, we've got one more thing for you, if you don't mind. All I said was put me in coach. Where do you need me? They sent me to a burning down RSS. Uh, I went over there for a few months, helped them get back up, uh, back up and running, helped them train any staff in CIC uh, and turned it over. At that point, it was pretty much like, hey, top, get ready for retirement. Fix yourself. You know, and what most Marines don't understand is by fix yourself, there are so many things that come with retirement, so many medical appointments. Um, and most importantly, I think really getting your mindset into a place of understanding that you are now going to be leaving the Marine Corps where nobody's going to call you, nobody's going to check on you, nobody's going to ask you if everything's okay. Um, you're transitioning into a, another independent duty that's truly just going to be you and your family. Yeah. Right. And I was very fortunate to have a command that understood that and allowed me the opportunity to do so. And I think these Marines in the fleet, whether they've done recruiting duty or not, they have to start preparing for that as soon as possible. And one of the great ways to do that is through the SkillBridge program. SkillBridge is a phenomenal way for every Marine to have the opportunity to start looking for employment after the Marine Corps, help them get to a point of where they're getting all their, their doctor's appointments knocked out on time and not trying to do all their medical that last month that they're on active duty. And now they're not getting their VA rating until nine months after being out of the Corps, right? All that stuff needs to be done right away. And when you have that done right away, which I was able to accomplish, like you're allowed to do it six months out, right? I had mine done like that first week. As soon as I hit my six months, I had all my medical appointments done. Everything was set up and I was like, oh, shoot, look, that was pretty easy. But it allowed me to mentally prepare for my transition out because I think we are all going to go through it at some point where it's like, fuck, like I'm not going to wear a uniform ever again. Yeah. Most of us, I mean, I was happy about it. I, I, I was happy more. <laughs> but at the same time, it also meant that the things that I truly loved weren't going to be around anymore. And that's mm. Marines. At the end of the day, I, and I, I don't want anybody to mis, misconstrue what I say. Like, I love the Marine Corps. I don't love the institution of the Marine Corps, but I love Marines, right? Amen. There's a lot of things that I truly did not like about the institution of, of the Marine Corps. Mm. But when it came down to it, what, what motivated me, kept me going, and what I truly loved is Marines. End of the day. 
that for me was probably a harder part to understand and to to deal with transitioning out is not being able just to walk over like Randall, what are you up to, bro? Nothing. Let's go to Home Depot. Lou, what are you doing, bro? Nothing. Let's go do this, right? Uh, Matt, bro, I can I can identify with you on that on so many levels because like that's how I am right now. Like with my new job, man. Like and I told that to my boss because like I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't really doing that great. Um, I got my my one year my one year ear eval, and we were talking about it today. And today was like the first time we sat down and did like a training meeting. And I've been there for a year, and I said that to her. I was just like, she asked me like in front of everybody. She's like, Doug, you know, you've been here for a year. Like, what are some of the things that you've seen? And I was like, I'll just be honest. I was like, we do this is like the first or maybe second time we've done this. I was like, in the Marine Corps, I was like on recruiting duty. We did training every single Friday. For two to three hours, and then we would go. We would go out, have lunch, have dinner together, and like we were, we were a team, and like we made things happen. And I was like, because right now, like our school isn't meeting the numbers that we need to meet, and now like corporate's coming down on us. And she was like, she was asking me from like a Marine Corps standpoint, like why do I think it is? And I was like, well, because we're not a team. Like I don't know any of these people. I I see them on a conference call once a week. I don't have a relationship with any of them and we're not doing this. And I was like, and we're all stuck in the office by ourselves and we're working from home. So like, we don't have that commonality. We don't see each other in the office. We're not like hanging out with one another while working. And like, for me, like that's like the biggest thing. That's one of the reasons why I started this podcast because like I spent five years on, well, I spent four years on recruiting duty surrounded by five Marines and in, in, in an RSS BSing about everything and anything for seven days a week, you know, and then now to be off of recruiting duty and to no longer do that. Like even a year later, I still find myself in my car and I'll look to my right to be like, yo, Mo. And then I'm like, oh, crap, it's just me driving like, it, you know, and, and then I'll call him or I'll call my boy Durkey, you know, and it's just it's crazy because like, you know, nothing can 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 prepare you for that. And that was like one of my, one of my friends that I've recently met, um, Sergeant Major Bull. That was what he said. He said he was like, bro, he was like, no one can prepare for you. No one can prepare for you for the day after you EAS. He was like, nobody, no matter how much you think about it, no, how, no matter how much you prepare yourself. He's like that next day just hits you in the face because it's the first time that you, no one's calling you for formation or no one's calling you to see if you're at work no one's calling to see what you're doing like no one's like hey do you want to go here and it was like and that but when he said that and now like when you said what you said it's just awesome to hear that we're not alone and that other people are going to be in the same space at one time or another and you're going to realize that like one day it all comes to an end that's absolutely right. And that's, I think that's, you know, seeing a lot of, a lot of Marines get out after four years, eight years, 10 years, right? I always come to the conclusion, like, what can we do to help their transition smoother? What can we do to help their time in the Marine Corps? What can we do, you know, to make quality of life better? And it always comes back down to, you know, teaching and, and preaching and, you know, utilizing it yourself is at the end of the day, the most important thing in your life will always be your family, right? Amen. And I think that right there, it goes a long way 
in any man or any woman's book that you ever come across is when they understand that you believe that and that you truly preach it and practice it, they're going to want to work with you. They're going to want to be around you. And you're going to continue to get those phone calls long after the Marine Corps. Um, and for me, I think that's one of the things that's helped out the most is, you know, again, I, I don't ever consider myself the best app. And so I see the best, you know, human being alive. But I think the things that I've been able to do in my short 20 years on in the core, right, is being able to preach that and practice that. You know, and the Marines around me understood that that's who I was as a person. Yeah. And so today it, it's a little bit easier on me because I, I do have that ability to reach out to Marines or they call me, they text me like top, like, bro, I'm not top no more. You can call me Dario. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's, it's honestly a good feeling because it does make the transition that much easier. Mm -hmm. Wow. So one of my last questions would just be like, how does it feel to look back at, at all like to look back at 13 years on recruiting duty like how, how does you know your deployments all of that like how does it feel now you know having a lot more time with the family having a lot more time to just live and be free and not have to put a uniform on like how does how does that is it is it everything you thought it would be like how do you feel now being where you are i get that question a lot and i always come back to the same answer the grass is definitely greener on the other side, but if you put in the work up front, right? Mm. Uh, and, and I did. I, I put on a lot of the work up front, um, which the big, most important part was making sure that my family was taken care of. They were secure financially, you know, and we were stable, you know, and that was surrounded by, you know, putting and helping my wife come into a position uh, of having her own career, right? And a big part of everything that I've done on recruiting duty, which I avoided the the uh, the slate like a plague, right? Uh, in the recruiting world, that's considered a deployment dodger. <laughs> um, and being able to make sure that my wife had a financial, like uh, a stable career that was going to make sure that we were financially secure when I got out. That was a big part of it that allows me to say the grass is definitely greener because not having the weight of having to have a job on my shoulders after the Marine Corps or feeling like I need to stay in because that's the only income that I have or we have. It took so much weight off my shoulders, so much stress off my mind that most Marines probably deal with as they're exiting and trying to find and needing to have a job right away. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, not everybody's in that position. For me, I was very fortunate to be able to get to that this point where I don't have to have a job right now if I don't want to. I have a job because I was bored. Um, I run a side business, uh, grains and stains, where I just make cutting boards, and it does pretty well, right? Uh, <laughs> one of my talk a lot of crap. Oh, great, another veteran, you know, cutting wood and selling crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I love them, but it's good pocket change, right? Yeah. Um, but I was getting bored and I decided to come into to another job uh, doing doing the lending piece, which is it absorbs a lot of my time, but it's commission based. And I work when I want to work. I don't when I I don't work when I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, example, this morning, I got up, took my uh, oldest daughter to school at 7 a.m., came home, went back to sleep till about 930, woke up, grabbed my grabbed our toddler. We sat on the couch for about an hour just watching cartoons, you know. And that's why I say life 
for me has been a little bit greener on this side of the fence. But because but, you pair, but because you prepared for it, exactly. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's again everybody's in a different situation, yeah. but you have to be be ready for it. And if you're not in that position to be able to do so, you know you still need to prepare. That way, you take more stress off your plate, and that comes with that skill bridge program that allows you the opportunity to go find a job and not have to stress about it the month before you're getting out. Because believe it or not, finding a job after after the course is still very difficult. Uh, I've come across a lot of buddies that have put in 20, 30 applications and have been rejected. And they're they're starting at maybe they retired, you know, higher on the totem pole, you know, senior enlisted, but they're not getting senior enlisted type job offers or pay. Yeah. Right? So it, it really comes with a lot of upfront planning whether you're ready to get out or not, like you have to do the legwork and make sure that that resume looks good. It's solid. Um, yeah. And you're able to start applying for jobs that are going to help set you up for afterward. Amen. Well, Hey, listen, thank you so much, Dario, for your time, for, for everything. I really appreciate it. And I, I thank you for the, the gems of wisdom and, the just the reality of you know what you've been through your advice on different things um you know and like i like i had a friend of mine say once he was like bro if you ask 48 ris the same question everyone would have a different answer and the reality of it is is that if you ask every 8412 the same question everybody's gonna have the same answer um sorry different answers and that's why i created this podcast is really just to get people like yourself to talk about you know, what are different things that we can be doing better um, and what, you know, what are we doing well and how can we just make the recruiting effort a better place to be? Um, and again, just thank you for your time. Do you have any last words or anything that you want to impart upon us? Uh, I think I, I've said plenty. Just, you know, keep pushing into the day. You know, uh, if, if the duty hasn't exposed yourself, you're probably not working hard enough. Work harder, expose yourself who you really are. You know, and, and you'll find out that the more you push, the harder you push, the more that you'll truly find out about your character and who you are. Um, and I think that's a big part of what what will make you successful as an individual. And that's every Marine out here on this duty is the harder you push yourself, the more you'll find that everything else comes a little bit easier in life. Amen. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it so much. I have a good rest of the night and uh, adios. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. I didn't have a good one.